there wasn't a clear solution and we both ended up building in-house. And we were kind of like shocked that we had done the same thing. It's like kind of akin to making a soup, right? And you're like, did I have, is this too salty? And I feel like building a feature for a small team is much different than building a feature for a large org, even though you're using the same ingredients. If you like working, it's most likely that you also love the people that you work with. My name is Omri Moore, and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Routable. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Omri Moore set out to solve familiar pains around invoicing and payments strictly B2B. All this and more on Code Story. Growing up in Tel Aviv, Israel, Omri Moore learned to appreciate music, art, food, and other sensory experiences. After selling his first company, he and his current co-founder got together to catch up over some pita and hummus. They began swapping stories of problems they encountered in processing payments to their third parties. So many problems that they were both required to build their own payment processing systems. After taking some time to validate a solution in the market, Omri set out to build Routable, a modern bill payments, payouts, and invoicing system, enabling companies to speed up payment processing through a secure platform. Tell me about Routable. Tell me about the company and what uh, the company does. Sure. Uh, so we do B2B payments. We do accounts payable and accounts receivable as a service. What that means is that we help companies deliver payments to contractors or vendors or charge customers via sending invoices. We are specifically working with companies that are doing hundreds or thousands of business payments a month. We don't do any consumer payments, so we're purely B2B focused. The way I would describe it to my grandma is we are Venmo for business. So how did you get started with Routable? So I'll put it this way, I had no intention of building this specific company. It just happened by chance. I was post-acquisition for my previous company in Tel Aviv. My co-founder was living in Tel Aviv at the time post-acquisition from his previous company. And we just caught up for hummus. Uh, that's what you do in Israel. Everybody eats hummus. In, in Israel, hummus is the meal. But anyways, we, we caught up for just to hang out. How are you? What's going on? And what we found out was, so we both had worked on marketplaces and we both had kind of built the same infrastructure in-house, custom, as engineers, which took about between a quarter and a third of our dev time slash money um, to uh, pay people, to manage spend, to figure out who got paid on time, basically building an infrastructure for payments, B2B, uh, for uh, vendors in-house. And we were kind of like shocked that we had done the same thing and equally hated doing that and building it in-house. And we talked about how funny it is that like there wasn't a clear solution and we both ended up building in-house. What happened next is I went back to, I was living in Seattle at the time, Tom stayed in Tel Aviv, but we kind of kept talking 
we had met a couple times in Tel Aviv too, just trying to like keep ideating. And we ended up over the course of nine months interviewing about 300 people. Each one of these people we talked to at least between, you know, three and 10 times, depends on how annoying we were. We flew to Atlanta, we flew to New York, we flew to San Francisco, LA, and really try to get as much feedback on how to businesses that I would say post Series A, how do businesses post Series A move money? And where is their pain and what are they doing today? And what we found out was that at some point, most businesses, if they're technical, build their own B2B payments infrastructure in-house from scratch. Or um, on the flip side, if they're not technical, they just hire a lot of humans. And both ways, there was a big lack of transparency. It was a lot of work and it was very expensive. And we said to ourselves, cool. We kind of saw what there was, there was a lot of SMB solutions. There were a lot of enterprise solutions, but there wasn't really a great way to go from a hundred payment to a thousand payments, to 10,000 payments, to a hundred thousand payments and beyond. We said, this is interesting enough after nine months of just talking to people and not writing in code that we said, let's build, you know, let's build a business. Tom moved to Seattle at the time and we started working on it. But that was kind of the, hummus was the, uh, the inception. Tell me about the MVP. Funny enough, Tom and I were, this was in May 2017 and we, we were just about to start writing code and we hadn't yet. One of my friends, who is also now an investor, told us we should apply to Y Combinator. We applied with, I think, about two weeks prior to the program, got in, and they asked us what the hell we had been doing for nine months, and we kind of gave them that spiel, just like I just did. And they said, cool, do you think you can build this fast enough to actually have some metrics, a demo day? And Tom and I were both said, no, it's going to take us at least three to six months to build an MVP because we're going to move money, right? I've built consumer products, I've built marketplace slash business products. And for a FinTech product, you can't you just can't mess this up. Uh, they're like, okay, well, if you can do it, we'll let you in sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. So got into YC and YC is a wonderful program, but there's a lot of push for progress. You know, I told my fiance, now my wife at the time that I'm going to just uh, go dark. <laughs> and write as much code as possible. So Tom wrote early on all of our backend code. I wrote most of our front end code. We chose to write with React for front end at the time and Python for the backend, and uh, specifically Django for the framework. And first two weeks, we really tried to build an MVP and failed miserably, and you know just looks like crap. Um, you know we showed up. I remember showing up two weeks later to our uh, meeting. Uh, with the YC partners, and we were basically like, yeah, we we tried. There was no way in hell. But we did ship something, a real working money-moving MVP six weeks in, which we are really proud of. It's the most intense coding period of my life. <laughs> six weeks in, we have an MVP, it's working, it's live, it's in production, and we got uh, a few customers. And so the program is 10 weeks, and in those last four weeks, we got customers and we sent about $200,000 worth of payment, which is really not a lot, but at that time, it just felt so great to have something that people were using. And then you know the story, so you build an MVP and then you throw all the code away. <laughs> so we built an MVP and we have this infrastructure and they're like, crap, we have to refactor and rewrite everything because this is not sustainable. And we eventually raised money, built the company, but that initial 
process was equally daunting and awesome. Just a lot of stress and pressure, but I, I love that feeling of, I don't know if this is gonna work, but I wanna try to play with it. And, you know, like everybody writes, like, you know, everybody works on small projects on the, on the side, but I feel like when you announce to the world that you're building something from the MVP perspective, you sure hope that it works. Especially with money. Our biggest fear was like, we were sitting there the first four weeks, hoping that the money would go to the correct destination. And they did. And we've been fine ever since. You built an MVP, you built it React front end, Django Python back end, the end of YC, you're moving money back and forth about 200K and you're feeling good about the product. What did you do next? So we raised a little bit of money and man, it took us about six months to hire our first person. But basically our MVP was so rudimentary that like friendly businesses were using it people that liked us and liked our story, but we couldn't really go to market with it. To us, the V1 was not only code sound, but it was also business sound. So um, in, our, in our industry, if you don't have an integration to an accounting software, which our MVP didn't, uh, it just sent money. People won't buy your tools. We basically, uh, that first year, you know, from, I think it was August to August. So that six weeks of craziness ended around August 1 and from, August 2017 to August 2018, we really worked diligently on one integration with Zero, And, oh man, the amount of conversations with wonderful accountants, CFOs, people in the FinTech and finance industry that like just helped us out and really try to figure out how to build a really great integration. I think what I discovered throughout the process of building this product is that our product will succeed or fail based on how awesome the integration can be, uh, how much syncing back and forth, what is the lag time, what information is shared, what information isn't, how well we explain that in documentation, in the feature, in the UX. It's really cool to build an integration company. It's really hard. I've built businesses before that don't need too many integrations. Building this, I have such an amazing appreciation for companies like Segment and uh, Twilio, right? just aggregators of a lot of data because people are relying on you to get it right. And getting it right is actually extremely hard. So you focused a lot on the integration into the accounting software and that makes a ton of sense. And, and you're building you know, a software, an integration software to move money. How is that different from other products that you built? For, I'll give you an example. So like my previous uh, product was an e-commerce marketplace. When you're building a product that is not as much integration as heavy, you're doing a lot of design feedback iteration, right? Like you're going to say, I have a feature, I'm going to think about it, I'm going to talk to my potential users or existing users. I'm going to have some validations and continue. For example, like with Zero, we spoke to their engineering team and their um, dev evangelist team a lot to not make sure that, you know, we had a really, really good integration, but they also, they thought it was good that we passed kind of their requirements to be an integration in their app store. So there's a lot of hoops that we had to jump through to make sure that the integration was sound according to their end. And then moreover, we kind of had to list out all of the different things that we could, you know, integrate and pass between our two platforms. I think you really have to make an MVP for that too, right? So today I think we have an awesome integration with Zero, but that is taking us about two years to build. With, with integrations, you have to say, what is our MVP? 
and how can it improve, right? And you kind of have to restart that whole product development process per integration. You, you've probably used plugins, you've used everything, right? It's like, what's really interesting about it is you have to like, for example, our interface is different whether you're using Xero, QuickBooks, or NetSuite, because data is entered into each one of those platforms. And for example, some have webhooks, some have don't. Some uh, have deep links, some have don't. So there's a lot of things that we can or cannot do per integration. So it's a really interesting product development process where you are, you're asking yourself, how good is my integration with this product? And then you're saying, okay, what is my adoption for this integration look like? And then you say, is this integration going to drive more business forward? So it's a, it's a real trip, to be honest with you. It's a never ending question of how well are we passing data back and forth? And it's a backend question. It's a scale question, right? Rate limiting, stuff like that. It's a interface question. So. I think a lot of it starts with like even before the interface kind of stuff and the design and the UX, it's really about can I make an awesome experience given these factors based on what gets passed back and forth? Because I feel like when you're building a product that has less integrations and less limitations on by third parties, you can dictate what you can do. But with integrations, you have to follow guidelines and you're restricted by other people's APIs, right? You're restricted by other people's guidelines and how you use their logos and all that stuff. So it's a lot of kind of, uh, it's a lot of BD and relationships, even though you're just uh, an engineer trying to put two things together. Today's episode is sponsored by Twala. Twala is a fintech company helping clients solve a fundamental business problem how to best move money. Payments are a key component of every business, yet one that can be difficult to understand. Dwalla's ACH Payment API removes the complexity involved in moving money to and from bank accounts, so businesses can continue to focus on their core revenue streams. ACH transfers are efficient, reliable, and with Dwalla's API, they're available for any business. With a developer-friendly, white-labeled API, businesses can seamlessly integrate and brand the entire end-user experience while empowering teams to focus on generating revenue and company growth. Dwala is at the forefront of a payments revolution, having created a ready-made connection to America's money-moving network and is ready to help your business scale. I've partnered with Dwala for over two years and can vouch for two important aspects of their business. Solid, reliable technology and amazing customer support. Dwala enabled our team to achieve same-day pay on our platform. And if my team needs anything, we can rely on Dwala's support team to get an answer quickly. Start building against Dwala's API in the sandbox environment today for free. Visit dwala.com slash codestory to get started. That's d-w-o-l-l-a dot com slash codestory. How did you build your roadmap in the beginning? And you know, how did you choose the right people to integrate with? So we chose Zero first because we, love, we liked their API. It was like, yay, amazing. Like their API docs are pretty good. So like for us, it was the easiest integration to do first. Then we did QuickBooks, now it's NetSuite, and we have a lot. We have endless integrations to build. 
So for example, so we use Jira for product management and each ticket that we have has a KPI field and an epic. And I think that like as a team, first of all, product development and roadmaps are the hardest thing in the world. Uh, I guess, but the way we look at it is uh, we have quarterly goals, we have annual goals, right? I think for me, I really, really enjoy the sprint planning process. So this sounds silly, but we have uh, a sprint planning meeting where our whole team gets together and we talk about what we want to do this upcoming two weeks. So we operate on two week sprints. Prior to, like a week before the sprint planning meeting, we have a planning for the sprint planning meeting. And it's a really quick chat about like, what are the must have things that we need to get accomplished and what are nice to have. That, that meeting is, is more about like focus as a company with fewer people. And then the sprint planning meeting is basically, you know, assigning points, making sure that everybody has a full sprint, getting feedback from everyone on the must-haves and so forth. But it's a much more uh, aligned and execution-based meeting where we're just trying to uh, see what was completed in the previous sprint, what wasn't, and so forth. And then, so we are uh, remote-based. So we have two in San Francisco, two in Seattle, two in Oregon, one in Chicago, one in Denver, one in Arizona, and one in San Diego. And we do quarterly meetups. So the company flies everyone out to a different city every quarter, we rent Airbnbs, we have a lot of fun. Those are the times when we talk about product development at a one year, two year sort of mark. And because we're small enough right now, we can actually have an open conversation about things we want to build, things we hear from our customers they want us to build, things that might be pushed onto us by our integration partners. And I think today it's just an, it's a constantly open conversation, but we also do have goals, right? We want to succeed, we want to win, we want to do it right. So we try to chunk it up to quarter by quarter because I think that's healthiest. And then, I don't know, like we have check-ins and pulses to see how we're doing and compared to the goals that we want to achieve in that quarter. You know this probably from experience, but everything happens slower than you expect. So as long as you are, I think as long as you're focused on the humans working and not the output, then you're cool. I, I just really care that we work with awesome people and they're contributing and they're enjoying the work that they're doing and that there's awesome communication and collaboration. I think if you set up a culture like that, you're actually going to lead to pretty succinct and awesome product development. Um, like we have a culture, we like PRs, we really do. Everybody comments, oh my God, so many comments. But like we like to have conversation about style guides for code and like PR templates and everything that we can, right? Like we have every two weeks, like architecture meetings, front end and back end. They're not long, they're 30 minutes, but we just get to talk about cool things that we've seen or things that we, we want to work on that we haven't yet. I think all of that and all those conversations lead to product development. So that's a great segue into the team. Two questions. How do you pick the right people? What do you look for when you're hiring those individuals? And then how do you build that team culture, that winning team culture? The majority of humans you talk to are great. So then it's just really hard to just be nitpicky. What we look for at our stage of the company is, uh, have you worked at a startup? Probably under 100 people. 
it's really important for us at this moment. I, it's not sustainable and it's not scalable, but right now we're just looking for people who actually enjoy the uncertainty of startups and the level of autonomy and, you know, ideas and we, we just look for startup people, I think at, at a base level. So we look for that. And we have kind of, I wouldn't say perfected, but we've come to a real groove in how we interview. And for us, I think culture fit is what we start with. And then, you know, a technical challenge and a take home test. Really it's, I think for us, it's about buying in about the person. And then one of the things that we screen for, regardless if you write code or not, is your, the questions that you ask and how nitpicky you are. I think that because we're in the FinTech industry, you have to be really um, analytical about everything you do. And what that lends to is not making assumptions. So we like to steer away from as many assumptions as possible. And what I love is that during the interview process, you kind of have enough conversations with people to learn what their communication style is like, how many questions do they ask, how curious they ask. And if we find someone that is overly curious, asks a lot of questions and writes a beautiful code, then, then we make no job offer. Um, but I didn't answer the winning side. Um, to be honest, you, you, I don't know how to answer that. I think that by virtue of hiring other startup people, you're hiring people that have been in companies that have had a high level of goal setting or ambitions. That's cool, but it really comes down to passion. I, I think that, you know, uh, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're an engineer, if you truly care about what you're building, I think you're just going to be closer to winning. Um, as soon as there's any apathy in the company, I think it's very contagious. So early on, it's about uh, aligning together on a vision and on a communication style and on culture and, and on why we're doing this. If that alignment can happen, I, I believe that's going to get you closer to quote unquote winning or achieving your goals or just building something than, um, than actually focusing on metrics or something like that. Because we're just gonna work on that together, right? That is a, that is like metrics and goals and KPIs are wonderful and you need to have them, but without having alignment in your team, um, I don't think they're useful. You know, obviously we got hooked up through the uh, Dwala contact. Where does Dwala fit into the picture here in your platform? Uh, we work with Dwala to do our ACH payments. Um, I love Dwala. I mean, going back to integrations, we work with Dwala to be able to process ACH transfers. We have been working for Dwala for over two years now, and they're just fantastic humans to work with. That's the thing, like we have a Slack channel with them. They're awesome. And like we send them t-shirts, they send us t-shirts. They invite us to conferences. We invite them to San Francisco. It, it is really cool to work with a team that is equally engineering focused, but has awesome humans. I really like working with them because it feels like a company that we can work with forever. And it is, I don't know, again, we share alignment, right? We bring them business, they bring us business, and they support us well, and I think we support them well too. So um, it's, a, it's a really cool uh, relationship to have. So what are you most proud of with Routable? Team. I am a very realistic person. 
I love building our product because we are serving departments and blood companies that are underrepresented from a technology perspective. Like we we work with a lot of engineers because we have an API and all that stuff, but we the majority of our day-to-day users are in the finance and accounting space. And it is a pleasure to build really amazing software and products for them. So I I am proud to build a team that cares about that. I think at the end of the day, our, I think our metrics are great. I think that we are doing like awesome stuff, that our product is cool, but it really comes down to the people that are moving the needle. And I don't know, they're my second family. It is wonderful to work with them. And we kind of have collective hiring. We get buy-in from everyone. They make suggestions. We came up with a hilarious t-shirt idea for a conference today. I don't know, like, it's fun. It's fun to see them every quarter. It's fun to coordinate trips with them. It's fun to write code. It's fun to argue over how we should be building a feature. If you like working, it's most likely that you also love the people that you work with. So I am so far proud that we have built a pretty cool team. Tell me, tell me about a mistake that you guys made and how, how did your team respond? I think one of the hardest things, period, is when new people don't work out. It is so tough because, uh, and I don't know if I would call that a mistake, it's just a trial and error, right? Uh, you know, we tried something out. But it really can lead to emotions and feelings and it's just an awkwardness, right? I, I feel like when you hire someone and they don't work out, you know, and you bring them on board, everybody gets excited, you let them go fairly quickly, you're always transparent about that. That's really tough. And I think that uh, what's really important is just be transparent with the team and the individuals about why it's not working out as quickly as possible as you can do that. I think that's super important. Outside of that, like, <laughs> I remember when we built our uh, very early version of the product, we had built it in a card view, optimizing for mobile. And we got feedback from a bunch of accountants. They're like, where are my spreadsheets? And we're like, what do you mean spreadsheets? Like, who wants to look at spreadsheets? Today, our, our product is as table-based as Airtable. We're very table-friendly. But that was a mistake. We We... And I think that's the last time we didn't ask questions. So we had come up with our own design for displaying, displaying payment information, optimizing for mobile, and that backfired fast. So now we corrected very quickly, right? We're like, okay, you know, here are some designs. Are these tables better? We said, yes, they're great, and, and so forth. But that was, a, that was a big mistake. And the mistake was not not aligning the product with the user and not um, just, you know, asking. Ever since now or ever since that moment, we usually reach out to about anywhere from five to 25 customers when we have a significant enough feature and just get feedback. And we work with some pretty awesome customers who are eager to help us build a better product because we make their life incrementally easier. And it is uh, a lot of fun to get their opinions on it. And uh, that's how we correct things now. So what does the future look like for Radable and for the team? I think just scaling. I think it's just a lot of more of the same, improving integrations, adding integrations, building team. We are now 80% engineers. 
that's going to change significantly over the next two to three years. And it's just growing pains. It's, I think the number one thing is to just maintain a awesome culture. Uh, I do wonder if we'll stay remote forever. I don't know. Um, but it's building amazing products and acquiring really great customers. And I don't know, hopefully it works out. Uh, I think that we have the right infrastructure and team to do it. Um, but you get the gist, you know, we raised, we have, we have a lot of money in the bank. We're making pretty good revenue and we're growing at a pretty good rate. I think that it's just making sure that we make a company that people want to work at for a long time, right? And it's making a product that people want to keep as they grow. And I think that's really hard, right? Retention both on the awesome team member that you hire now and the awesome customers that you have today. That's one of the hardest things to do. A lot of companies as they grow, figure out that people leave and customers leave and <laughs> that's an early warning sign. Uh, and what I want to see more than anything is just continued retention uh, in every aspect of our business. Name an architect or CTO or you know tech entrepreneur person that you look up to and tell me why. So my friend David at Retool, uh, I don't know if you know what Retool is, but it's a like internal tool product. Um, I really like, so he was a uh, friend from YC. I think he built an awesome engineering company and we have conversations about this, you know, ever so often. I think that building an engineering culture is really difficult, uh, especially in our space of finance, fintech payments. There's a lot of business companies that also write code. And we really want to be an engineering company where we talk about how do we contribute to open source? You know, do we spin up our own libraries? How do we help other people write code and build better code just outside of building an awesome product? I think that David with his team has built an amazing tool for engineers, which is fantastic, and has built a really good engineering culture and just has a really clear level head about building a young new product and really delivering on usability and design, but also really delivering on quality of code and the amount of just like value that you give back to people. Um, so from an engineering side that uh, another, I'll tell you a product I admire, I don't know the, the founding team there necessarily, but Notion, it's just a really great tool. Uh, I think that it's an amazing tool for remote teams to collaborate with. And I have a really, really deep appreciations for tools that are flexible. And that product is really flexible. You know, it's like you write code, everything up front is really rigid, right? You can only do this, you can only do that. And they built a, a pretty great tool that is flexible. And I really think that's hard. Um, if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or uh, what approach would you consider taking differently? Hmm. So uh, Justin, we have Justin on our team. He is our head of integrations. I would have tried to bring someone like him on earlier. Uh, a lot of our first year was endless refactoring and due to integrations and making sure that you don't build one integrations, but you built a model for adding new integrations, right? Especially in the accounting world, which is crazy. So I think that having him on earlier would have been great. And actually, so we hired um, we hired a designer slash engineer. She does both. Uh, she's a great front end engineer 
she's a great designer, which is something I love to have someone that can do both. But having an additional product person on the team earlier, I think would have um, saved me a lot of time. Um, just, you probably know this, when you're building product, you're in your head a lot. And just having additional people uh, really focusing on usability and experience and the small things, right? Uh, I think really makes a difference. So um, making that hire earlier on would have been awesome. It's like kind of akin to making a soup, right? And you're like, did I have, is this too salty, right? <laughs> but like, if you're cooking for a bunch of people, you want to kind of hit it in the right area where it's, you know, on the money. And it's very difficult to do. Even if you're like, I love food, so I'll, I'll, I'll spin into that. I think salting a dish for a table of six is completely different than salting a dish for a group of 100 people, right? And I feel like building a feature for a small team is much different than building a feature for a larger org, even though you're using the same ingredients and you have a very similar process. Um, just like the margin of error becomes a lot higher, right? If you're using a full cup of salt, and you pour it in too fast, <laughs> it, it gets really salty. What advice would you give someone just getting started on the road of startups, of building their dream? What would you tell them? Quit your job faster, commit faster, tell people that you're working on something. I think telling other people that you're working on something is you announcing to the world that you're making a commitment to try something out. Not to do it, but to at least give it a shot. And I think that's very healthy. And then asking for help, uh, I think that, I, I know this from experience, the more you ask for help in the startup community, uh, the easier things get. And uh, my favorite thing to say is, I don't know, let me get back to you on this. I don't know a lot of things. I want to learn a lot of things. When I don't know something, I have built just groups of amazing people to help me out. And I feel like uh, the majority of the time when people are building their company, they're trying to do it right right away. And they're trying to do it on their own to not appear like they're not knowledgeable. And the reality is, regardless of what you're building, you're not gonna be the knowledge expert or you're not gonna have the most experience in that field. Other people are, whether you're <laughs> looking on Stack Overflow or trying to figure out a better rate for you know cross-border wires, just doesn't matter. There's people out there that can help you out. So I would quit your job faster. I would announce to the world that you're doing it. I think that um, keeping an email list of people that are a fan of what you're doing and updating them every month is super important. People love momentum. And then I would just ask for help. I send out an email every month and the first things are things that I need help with. I think that's very critical. Those are my recommendations. And then also, Everyone's so critical of themselves and what they do and all that stuff. I would make sure that you are happy and you're not sacrificing your quality of life or your team member's quality of life. So whoever you're working with or your partner's quality of life or your kids for the startup. I think the startup should allow you to be thrilled by what you do and should give you energy and all that stuff, even when it gets hard. Uh, it shouldn't be a trade-off between having uh, a life that you love and building a company that you are thrilled about. Well, Omri, uh, thank you for being on the Code Story podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me.
And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at codestory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.